I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, the Port Arthur Massacre in Tasmania, 25 years on. Uh, Darren Hinch, welcome to That's Life uh, again. I think we're up to number uh, 40, 40 something in the episodes. Yeah. Mr. Tardio, we've done 40 eps of this and uh, I'm, en- I'm enjoying them. Uh, and I, I get nice compliments to you as well, people saying it's, it's like we're hearing a conversation in a restaurant. Well, that'll do me. So. Well, I, I, I really appreciate that because um, that's all we're really doing, isn't it? You're talking from your experience. I'm trying to ask you questions because I want to know. I, I want to get in inside your head, Darren, <laughs> and unload all of that information that you've built up over 60 years of okay. uh, being in, in the media. You, 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 you just triggered a, a thought process here, okay? When you say you want to get inside my head. On radio years ago, uh, I'd been... Uh, Keith Williams and I had done a show on 3X Roy, Foyf to Nine, Foyn and Moyled, and uh, he was given the flick and they decided to put me on with a guy called Hans Christian, who was real name was Hans Torv, uh, but suddenly he comes to Melbourne and we're going to do Hinch and Hinch and Christian, and uh, we I got with the, with the local program manager we go to the local pub which is the the Golden Age down by in near the Age Building in, uh, in 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 the city, and we're having a drink after it's been announced that we're going to do the show together, and they said what are we going to call the show? I said, how about Christian in the lion's den? And they didn't laugh. And uh, and then he said, listen, he said, um, what did you think of Keith Williams? I said, I wasn't overly impressed by his intelligence or his table manners. <laughs> All right? And Hans Christian uh, said, oh, geez, that's a bit rough. He said... And living, living with his chin, he said, what do you think of me? I said, I haven't eaten with you yet. <laughs> You'd already psyched him out. <laughs> and the show never went to air. He quit, he, he quit that night. He said, I'm out, I'm out of here. Because the, the, the Keith Williams thing was so funny and what I said about his intellect. He had a lovely girlfriend, Keith, and, and I was very, quite fond of him, but he had a lovely girlfriend. But she obviously egged him on saying, it's a two-person show. Hinch talks more than you do. You've got to step in more and ask more questions. And so Williams gets G'd up by his girlfriend at home and comes into the studio, and we're interviewing a, a gynecologist from Connecticut, okay? And Keith thinks, I've got to get more questions in here. So he says, uh, Professor, what do you think is the best form of, of birth control? He said, the pill or oral contraceptives? (laughs) (laughs) The professor didn't know what to say. And I I just said, Keith, you must have a hell of a home life. (coughs) Um, 
<laughs> well, see, people don't realise, I, I guess, because you know, when, when you've got a, a voice, you're a radio announcer. Um, doesn't mean you've been educated or that you know a lot of stuff. You've just got a, a, a good voice. And in the sixties, in particular, you know, a lot of guys left school early, uh, went into radio, and you, you became a journalist. So, so you educated yourself as you were working along. So you knew stuff. Um, in the eighties, when you were doing programs like that, uh, you actually look, look, the irony were full is of my, substance, I, mate. The, uh, the irony is, and I, 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 I doffed my hat to Craig Willis, who was my on-air man for, for, for many years. You know, we had a great relationship, but I did tell Brian White, the boss of Three AW, once, and it became legend. I said, "Show me a guy with a great radio voice, and I'll show you a dickhead." <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, you, you were never known for your great voice. I remember listening no, to you for never. the very first time on 3XY. And uh, actually, I remember uh, Philip Brady saying, or oh, listening to you at nights when you replace Bruce and Phil was like listening to a chainsaw going to bed. <laughs> well, it was pretty, you know, I, have the, I had the worst voice in radio. I mean, I used to joke, I could never make an obscene phone call collect because people were recognising my voice. I get in Uber cabs now, Uber cars now with my mask on and people, and the drivers, can, can you take your mask off? Aren't you Darren Hinch? You know, so, yeah, the voice is, is, well, that's what it is. You know. Well, it was distinctive though and I, I guess in the end that became your trademark, didn't it? Um, yeah. And the beard as well. Although oh, I have seen you without a beard. Yeah, it's, and, not a good, uh, it's not a good look. I think I prefer you with the beard, <laughs> Me too. I, I, I shaved it off in jail the last time, and uh, it's not a, not, a good, not a good look. We're coming up to the 25th anniversary of the Port Arthur Massacre. I remember mm-hmm. the day very well. It was the 28th of April. And uh, we had uh, we, that day we had christened my youngest son Marcus, and we were wow. at a function, and it came through that all of these people had been shot dead in in Port Arthur, and it was going up every hour, like twenty to twenty, and I think it eventually got to twenty eight people dead in Australia, in Tasmania. Uh, quite unbelievable that that could happen. My I. Um it, 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 it's burned into my, my, my mind and my brain forever because uh, on that morning, it was a Sunday, uh, I was I was living in Sydney working for 2GB. I just joined 2GB about a month before uh, as a so-called new star recruit working for John Singleton. And uh, every Sunday uh, I'd, I'd walk down, to my, down King Street to the Rocks and go to the Lord Nelson Hotel and have a have a um, you know, a cheese platter or something for lunch, early lunch. And I'm down there, and I'd read the Sunday papers, I'm down there having my little brunch. I get a call from a contact in Tasmania saying, hey, Darren, something's going on down here. There's about two or three people being killed in some weird shooting. And I said, okay. And uh, call back 10 minutes later, said, it could be eight or 10 people dead. Oh, holy shit. So I abandoned my, my brunch and, and got in a cab and went straight to 2GB. Um, because I was a new star of the station, I threw the football <laughs> off 2GB and took over and they agreed and, uh, and started just reporting only on Port Arthur. 
the funny sideline, I'll get back to the real story, the funny sideline was John Seaton was driving back from the Blue Mountains in his Rolls Royce that afternoon and thought, I wonder what's happening in the football. And he turns on a 2GB and here's me. And he said to his driver, that's a very long bloody promo. Um, <laughs> We've got to get that shortened. That's not good. He didn't realise that I'd, the football wasn't on. I was on. You know. Anyway, I, I, I did it till about five or six and then jumped on a plane to Melbourne and managed to catch a plane from Melbourne to Launceston and then, not knowing Tasmania, I rented a car and drove from Launceston through the night to, to Hobart. And uh, and I was buggered. I mean, I've, I've done a day's work and then flying and da 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 Anyway, I get to Hobart and I'm at the casino hotel, whatever it's called, Rest Point. And I uh, I walk downstairs. I wasn't drinking at the t- ever at the time. I was in the middle of my seven-year stop. And uh, I walked into the bar and ordered a soda water. And people were going on as if nothing had happened. It was like just a lot of their time. And I was so disgusted, I sort of I walked out and got in the lift to go up to my room. And a guy got in the lift with me and he said, Are you Darren Hinch? And I very abruptly said, Yes. He said, Are you down there on holidays? I said, No, I'm here for the bloody massacre. I was really angry because I had this from other people in the bar saying, What are you doing here on holidays? And he said, I said, I'm here for the bloody massacre at Port Arthur. And suddenly this man said, yeah, they got my Gwen. And I said, what? He said, they got my Gwen. I said, who? He said, I was in Port Arthur. He said, and I was, and I was, and his name was Ron Neander from Adelaide. And he, uh, he said, I was in the gift shop, he said, and, uh, and my wife was checking postcards and this guy shot her dead and a couple of women behind the, the counter. And he said, and ironically, before that, and I, I should back up here, I said to him, your wife was killed at Port Arthur? He said, yes. I said, and he stopped at his, his level and I said, do you want me to walk into your room? He said, that'd be nice. I said, why are you here? He said, well, they wouldn't let us bring our cars home and they put us in a bus and just dumped us here. So this man, his wife's just been shot dead in front of him, is alone at a hotel in Hobart. And so we go into his room and I sit on his bed. We're having a chat. And he told me how his wife Gwen had been shot. He told me how when he walked into the, 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 the Broad Arrow Cafe, I think it was called, when he walked in there, he saw this guy standing in front of him carrying a rebel sports bag and thinking, gee, that looks heavy. I wonder what's in it. And he said he was a long-haired, sort of surfy-looking guy. This is Martin Bryant. And he said, and suddenly, in the restaurant, he suddenly stands up and starts shooting people. And he, and he said that Gwen and I moved, ran into the, into the gift shop, almost hiding, I suppose, and... Uh, and then he killed her. And anyway, I, I said to Ron, I said, um, have you told your family? Do they know? He said, no. I said, listen, you, you call your, your, your kids and I'll, I'll go to my room. Do you want me to come back? And he said, yes. So I went to my room and being a journo, 
I sat there for 10 minutes typing up everything he'd told me, <laughs> as you would. Uh, then went back to his room and sat with him through the whole night. And next morning I'm on 3AW and uh, because he had to go and identify his wife's body, I told my producers, I said, uh, I don't want to talk to, I don't want to have him, I don't want to ask him on the program. The man's gone through shit, you know, just leave it alone. And uh, so what I did was I just read all the things I'd typed in his words that he told me in the previous three or four hours and explained why I didn't want to talk to him. And ironically, it won me the, uh, the Brian White Memorial Award for radio that mm. year. I'd never heard of that story, Darren. I'd never heard you tell that story uh, God, before. There's, there's a story you didn't know, my yeah. God. Uh, he obviously was in shock because he was in if he was shock. behaving like, I mean, was he emotional? Was he... Uh... No, he was flat. And I'll tell you two things why. I've realised, I've thought about it umpteen times and I, I think I used it as the opener for my, my book, Human Headlines, because I was just so stunned by it all. Um, Ron Neander was a funeral director which means to me he's used to seeing bodies, so he's used to seeing death. And I think that's why he could handle it a bit more than most people could, okay? But the saddest thing was he and Gwen, his wife, had he just retired, retired a few years ago as a funeral director. He had planned to take his wife to Port Arthur for a holiday. And just before they went to Port Arthur, their son was killed in a car smash. So they postponed their trip to Port Arthur for three years. And they arrived there and she's murdered. There you go. Isn't that an just... amazing story of fate? Yes. Just that For three years they didn't go to Port Arthur because their son had been killed. And then he said, we're going to go anyway. And they went... And she was shot there. And they happened to be there on the 28th of April, 1996, when all of this happened. And I tell you how brave, how brave was John Howard? I mean, people knocked him for wearing a body, a, 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 a um, bulletproof vest when he when he changed the laws on on guns. And uh, look, that's what he's, if you're advised to as the prime minister buy your security guards, you'd do it. You know, um, he says, in, I think in retrospect he wouldn't have. But I, mean, I owned a farm at the time. We had a we had a um, a, uh, a rifle a, a repeat rifle multiple bullet rifle in our house. We gave we, we turned it in. And when when I bought my farm, I didn't want guns around at all. Like I'm anti-gun, right? But but I realised that my my farm manager, we had a um, we had uh, you know he, he once went out and shot an injured kangaroo on the road that I mean was in absolute agony, you know, and he did that. He, he, we had a, a, a sick cow that one of his, that his pet dog had savaged on the leg. He's walking inside and got the gun and shot the dog. So I understand why farmers need guns. Uh, but the way that Australia re reacted to that, I mean, is fantastic. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that President Biden can do what Obama couldn't do after Sandy Hook and all those kids were killed. He actually is making moves in, in recent weeks to try and toughen the gun laws. And uh, and I I hope it works, but this this American predilection for guns just amazes me. I, you would have thought after Sandy Hook, when all those little kids were killed, that it would change. And Obama was was comforting a sobbing mother, 
at the White House and said, we will fix it. And they couldn't. I mean, the, the NRA and the, the gun lobby is so strong still that it, 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 there hasn't... There hasn't been enough change made, you know. Well, there was, at the time, enormous enormous opposition to John Howard's gun laws here in yes. Australia, but it just shows you what uh, what real powerful leadership can do, and I'm not sure that we would have it now or we would have it in the future, from what I can see. Uh, a Prime Minister who looks at a situation and says, this is the right thing to do regardless of how difficult it is and I will stake my reputation and my political future on it and do it because it's the right thing to do. Uh, I, thought How- I thought Howard showed amazing guts on that because he knew that in national electorates and things like that and his, some of his, some of his electorate, electorate um, he was, would be hated for it. But I, 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 I applaud him for that. Of course, uh, uh, the people that we all remember who were victims uh, were uh, the little girls, Alana and Madeline, uh, mm. and the wife of uh, Walter Meekak. Uh, Walter Meekak has become uh, almost a face of, uh, of that tragedy. Um, yes, he has. And, uh, of course, out of that came the Alana and Madeline Foundation, which I know you were involved in. <laughs> and uh, You were involved well, in well, you, s- and, you and Dennis O'Kane well, when, well, when I was in lockdown. <laughs> Our greatest public humiliation, I call yes. it. <laughs> and I, I, I can still, when I close my eyes, let me just set the scene. Alana and Madeline Foundation, they, they have this function at the uh, Crown Casino and they have people who uh, perform, you know. Um, now, we, no one knew who the hell we were, but you roped us in, Darren, because you were the big star, but you couldn't perform. Uh, well, you well, you're well, in house well, no, arrest. It was worse than that. I actually recorded in, in prison garb, I have a fake prison outfit. I recorded a song, Jailhouse Rock, I think it might have been. No, it was Turn Up the Radio. Turn Up the Radio, okay. And and I, I, I performed it. And then Channel 9 got scared and thought it might breach my um, terms of imprisonment and house arrest if they ran it. So they cancelled it. And so we had to do something. So we grabbed you and Dennis Arcane, as I call him, to, to do it instead, and you were dreadful. <laughs> Okay, let me just clarify a few okay. things. The idea was because you were in house arrest, you couldn't do the whole thing. Mm. So we would do it live on stage at the Palladium there, Crown, where wherever it is, the Crown Ballroom there. And then you would come in right at the end with a video. Now, they told, before we went on, Pauline Hansen went on with Buddy Franklin's wife, and they were fantastic as they sang, These Boots Are Made for Dancing. Now, I'm going to swear, I don't usually swear, but I had never heard of this fucking song, Turn Up the Radio. I didn't know the words. We had rehearsed it once, and I thought as the hour approached, I'm not going to be able to do this because I can't remember the words. So I wrote them on a bit of paper and I stuck that to my the palm of my hand. Your mate, Peter Sullivan, was the musical director. Yes. And he was supposed to point us in when we were supposed to start. Pauline Hanson gets on with Buddy Franklin's wife. They're fantastic, blah, blah, blah. Then our turn comes. They throw us out. We're dressed like, you know, flower power rockers of the 1960s. <laughs> I look across and I see 
this look of palpable fear on Dennis O'Kane's face. For as long as I live, that look will stay with me. <laughs> and then I look at Peter Sullivan, and I don't know whether he's pointed me in or he hasn't pointed me in, so I didn't know when to start. Anyway, a bit of time goes past, and I thought, shit, we better do something. So I started singing, even though I didn't know it was supposed... Anyway, at the end of it... Uh, they called us over, I think Gary Lyon and uh, uh, Fitzsimons' uh, wife, I've forgotten her name. Um, Lisa Wilkinson. Lisa Wilkinson called us over and said, oh, well, there's always a train wreck on one of these nights and we've had our train wreck <laughs> early. And that was us. Oh, good. Uh, so, so there you go. So that's the Alana. The they did good work, the Alana and Madeline they Foundation. They did, yeah. I actually, I actually did, a, um, uh, did one night, one night, I, I actually did Jailhouse Rock, uh, one night on the Alana and Madeline Foundation, you know, because Annette Philpot uh, was was behind, was big coordinator on that whole thing for a lot of years. It is a good, good organisation. I, I did get a bit funny about them when they got off on the on the buddy thing and the teddy bears and stuff, you know. Um, I think they, they digressed a bit. And then, of course, they got Princess Mary became the patron of... Uh, well, actually, she was there that night. Oh, that night. Uh, oh. The night of our greatest humiliation. Oh, well. And so, I remember so, Graham Mott coming up to me and going, how do you feel having done something like that? I, <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, <laughs> what can I do? It's, it's happened. No. And uh, also, hey, it was for charity. It was, it was, it was sweet. Yeah, it was sweet. That, that, that's I, right. I didn't know until afterwards that they'd, they'd actually Channel 9 had decided they should drop, drop my segment because... It could be uh, in breach of uh, contempt of court or something. Well, that right. destroyed our segment because you yeah. were you were the sting right at the end. Without yeah. you at the end, people were going, "Who the hell are these dickheads?" <laughs> and why up on the stage, <laughs> uh, Darren? The Tasmanian election is coming up. I did a bit of research and found out that there's 25 members MPs in the mm. lower house, 15 in the upper house. So it's not a big parliament. By the way, I've never been to Tasmania. No, never. It, it's look, it's very New Zealandy. It's uh, it's beautiful. I mean, they have some of the best wine and best cheese in the world. I've been there a number of times in various places. As I've been to Launceston, I've been to Hobart several times. Um, it's a beautiful island. It really is, and it gets knocked by everybody. You know about um, about you know. Well, incest and God knows what. But anyway, Tasmanians have like a, a stump where they have their second head and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, all that sort of stuff. But no, it's a it's a beautiful island country. Um, it is to me. If I moved there, it would be because I felt I was going. I might as well go back to New Zealand because that's it's it's really that sort of feeling. It's cold. It's clever. Um, they had the first casino in Australia. Remember. Decades and decades ago, uh, the rest point, as we talked about once before, um, and but they have the most beautiful food, beautiful wines, especially Sav Blancs, a very, very Marlborough-like Sav Blanc, and, uh, and 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 amazing cheese that they grow there in, in Tasmania. But the elections coming up. Look, there's a lot of elections. There's the state election in Tasmania. You've got the you've got the by-election in the Hunter uh, for, for 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 the. Uh, for the and the Liberals could lose their their majority government there. This uh, is in New South Wales. New South Wales, yeah. So yeah. it's a it is a big test, and it's, it's also a test federally because the Hunter is coal country, and so the Labor rights who who want to abandon coal completely and think that coal's a dirty four letter word, they're in trouble because if you try to tell people in the Hunter that you've got to end coal now. 
that's a vote loser, and Labor knows that. So, I, I, and, 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 and you know, Fitzgibbons is very strong on this, um, Joel Fitzgibbons. I think that they, um, they have a problem here. I, I mean, I, I suspect the Nationals, you'd hope, not hope, but you'd think that probably that, that on, on record they would win, but I'm not so sure. Mm. Uh, in Tasmania, Peter Gutwin is the uh, the, the, the Premier's uh, name. Uh, I think he's going to romp it in, do you think? Uh, I don't know. I look, 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 I think that they will win. Um, it's, it's a weird little state in some ways politically, you know, um, and, and they do have... They have history of, of people rebelling. It's like, I mean, Jackie Lambie is, is back as a senator because they... They are a bit um, rebellious, and I think that... So I don't know what will happen there. Um, well, because it's a small state and it's a small population, I mean, particularly Jackie Lambie, who's, you know, in the federal Senate, mm-hmm. and they elect 10 senators, uh, correct? Am I right? Yeah, but it, it, it should, not, should not be, but it has to be. The only way they could get Buddy Tasmania into the, into the, the federation was to give them the same as everybody else. I mean, I argue about how Tasmania having 10 senators, but... Look at this way. Um, Rhode Island in America is the smallest state in the country and it has two senators. California with 30, 40 million people has two senators. So it, it, it's, it's not unusual for us to no, Australia. No, know, but, but it, it, what it does mean, though, is that Jackie Lambie can be re- get elected to the Senate with not that many actual votes, uh, uh, I mean, and you get sort of yeah, weird yeah. people elected as well. Yeah, who was the guy, the, the ultra-Catholic guy, that uh, Brian Harradine? Mm. Her- and Harradine, Harradine controlled the Senate for a long time. I mean, on, on issues like birth control, I mean, he was a religious nutter, Brian Harradine, and the fact that what he could do and did do was, I thought, was disgraceful. But you're quite right. I mean, a, 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 a smaller state can... Uh, can control uh, if if the numbers are there. Can control it, yeah, that's and, and that's why I've often thought, Darren, um, you would probably because you you'd be very well known in Tasmania, having been uh, a national television figure. Uh, it would be much easier for you to be elected to the Senate if you stood in Tasmania. Uh, do you know what? You're right, but you also don't know what I wouldn't. I mean, I'm that would that would be real carpet bagging. I, I mean, that would be uh, – the answer might be good in the end, the result might be good, but I, I, I couldn't do that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was a Victorian senator and I want to be a Victorian senator again, but I would never, you know, shop around and see where, where's the easiest place to be. Wouldn't do it. And uh, they have had a history of uh, sort of corrupt behaviour. I, I don't know, you, you would remember Edmund Rouse, the businessman – Oh, yes. They tried to overturn an election result. There was a guy called Anthony Alloy, who I think was a, a sales rep at 3UZ of all places. <laughs> uh, and Robin Gray was the Premier. He'd lost the election. That's right. And they were trying to get him back, you know, by by enticing a MP to change sides, an MP to change sides. I'm not up on all Tasmanian gossip, but I remember... The, the most wonderful name of a uh, whom, I, whom I knew, who was the wife of a uh, Tasmanian politician, I think a, a premier, and her name was Honey Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe 
Jim Bacon was the premier. Yeah, Jim, yeah, Jim Bacon was a premier. He had a sister called wife. Wendy Bacon who was a yeah. journalist. Oh, okay. Yes, that's right. Still is. Yeah, but also I knew when I knew Honey Bacon. I thought, what a what a brilliant name. That's just just to the end of the world. Beautiful. Oh, there you go. Well, they've had some. Uh, you know, the mouth from the south was uh, Michael Hodgman. Um, Hodgman, yeah. And he he wore a chicken suit in the Senate once. Yes, that's or, right. He was a mate. House of, once. He was a mate of your mate, Andrew Peacock. Yes, that's they, right. They were yeah, pretty he, he wore uh, pretty a close. Suit. Yeah. yeah. So, Darren, you 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 are going to stand again as a oh, yeah. candidate. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll stand again for the Senate. He won't he won't go this year. It'll be probably March, April next year. Uh, I've just with with, with colleagues. We've just designed our new our new um, car magnets to drive around Victoria because we can't afford billboards this time. Um, and it just our, our slogan this year is again. Who's looking after the children? That's simple. Well, because I find that magistrates and judges are not still taking it seriously enough. They're giving child abuse, pornography, um, criminals minor sentences, you know, virtually nothing. We had one on Facebook the other day. A man got um, his name was O'Halloran. He got his former head of a charity. He got 18 months jail for the most vile child pornography. He runs a ran a charity including handicapped children, and it showed an eight-year-old girl performing a lewd act, right? And he put it on on, on up on on, uh, on video. I I saw that. The other he, thing he I got, he got eight, he got 18 months minimum of nine months, and he appealed. Now I just wish, I wish one judge, when somebody appeals, and this is the judge's right, could say. Yes, you got 18 months and you've appealed, it's too severe. I'm increasing it to three years. When you appeal a sentence, the judge is entitled to increase it as well as to decrease it. i just love to see one judge say, hey, I've gone, you've gone 18 months to three years. I mean, Chappelle Corby, remember she appealed a 15-year sentence in Indonesia and they increased it to 20 years. Yeah, yeah well, that would, that would uh, make people think twice before they yeah. appealed. I mean, One other why, thing... Why, why would you appeal an 18-month sentence for the most gross, vile stuff? And I, I won't go into the detail, but he, he, a friend of his said, I've got this young girl who, um, who uh, wants to have sex with two men. Um, she's under 16. And this guy, Helen, says, oh, that's good. That's good for me. The younger, the better. And he's appealing an 18-month sentence. The yeah. man should just crawl on it. And he's on bail. He should be in jail right now. You know? The I, other, the other thing to watch, Darren, is uh, Ron Briley. So Ron Briley, yes. a New Zealand businessman, he was in court a couple of weeks ago uh, where I think he pleaded guilty. He did. Um, but he hasn't been sentenced yet. Now, uh, uh, <laughs> It, it, that shocked me. You know, he's a guy. Well, it didn't shock me because I'd read years ago that he used to go and and hire teenage prostitutes in in, in Asia. Um, one of his biographies ten years ago said that. So it didn't shock me. Um, uh, I'm, I'm glad he's been. He, he has pleaded guilty and uh, and he should do some time. Yeah, he should. Well, you've done. Amazing work in this area for a long, long time. I admire your tenacity and you're still doing it. You're still following it. Still trying. And uh, that is just uh, wonderful. Uh, Darren, I wish you all the best. 
Well, let me tell you one thing, Tony. The, what annoys me still and gets my fire in my belly going is that judges who are soft, judges who are weak, judges don't realise that child pornography is child abuse of the worst kind. And for somebody to see it and read it and buy it and sell it, some kid is, is, is paying for that, has paid for that. And uh, as long as I'm still breathing, sunshine, I'll just keep pushing. Mr Hinch, thank you very much for your time uh, today. And uh, can I just ask people to maybe write a review if you've uh, liked hearing mm. our podcast? I know we've had 44 reviews, but we'd like a few more. And uh, also, uh, you know, register so that when the podcast comes out, it goes directly to your phone so you know when we've uh, when we released it. Um, Darren, thank you very much again for uh, talking to us today. All right, Sunshine, talk soon. All the best.